Have you ever had a moment where you just really misread a situation? Where maybe you misinterpreted who somebody was or something went a little bit off and a little bit sideways in a conversation? I can't tell you the number of times here, even at Bethany, I've been mistaken for an intern or somebody has told me and turned to me and said, yeah, but can I talk to the real person like in charge or something? Because sometimes this happens. We just misread who people are and what they're doing and what they're all about. This actually happened to me a couple of months ago in the fall. I was buying a computer with Krista uh, for her school. And so we're out and we're shopping for it and we're looking at a computer and a sales guy comes over to me and he starts to ask about the computer. We're chatting back and forth. And he makes the assumption that I'm in IT, which honestly, nobody has ever assumed because my IT prowess has peaked around 2007. So I'm really good with like email, about zero texting and a little bit of Dropbox. That's kind of like where I'm at in terms of my amazing tech skills. But this is what he assumes. And I say, no, I'm not, I'm not in tech skills. I don't do that kind of thing. Actually, I work at a church. And this is where the conversation kind of went a little bit off to the side. I wasn't quite ready for it. And because his eyes like open up, he's like, oh my goodness, I want to work at a church. That's what he starts to tell me. He starts to tell me about his dreams and all his desires. And he starts to name all the churches that he's interested in and working at, including ours here at Bethany. And I'm instantly feeling a little bit awkward and unsure. Like, is this guy going to ask me for a job? I don't really know where this is going. Krista is smiling behind her mask the entire time. I know this because she loves seeing me in awkward and uncomfortable situations. But this guy is so genuine and so nice and he just keeps chatting about his dream of working in a church. And then he turns to me and what he says is, I just need to know someone like on the inside of a church, someone who can help me to kind of get a job and a role. That's all I need. And then all of a sudden there's this moment of like recognition and he looks at me and he's like, wait a second, what church do you work at? I said, well, I work, I work at Bethany. And then he starts talking about Bethany here and about how he's watched our services and how much he enjoys everything and how he would be a great fit for here. And there's this moment where I think, oh, like here it's coming, right? He's gonna ask for like, can I have a job there or whatever else that's going on? And he says, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. If you work at Bethany, and I think he's kind of put things together, like maybe my role and all that sort of stuff. And he turns to me and he kind of blurts out, he's like, if you work at Bethany, do you know Evan? And I was like, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, He's like, do you know Evan? He works in worship there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I know Evan. And he turns to me and says, if there's ever a job there, do you think you could put in a good word with Evan for me? And I said, sure, I can put in a good word with Evan for you. That is no problem whatsoever. Evan is laughing in the background. I can see him right now. And this whole conversation was like a very odd and funny and bizarre. And some of you right now, some of you right now are like, did you like tell this young man like your job there at Bethany? Well, you all know me. Do you want to know exactly what I did? I bought the computer and left as quickly as possible. That is exactly what I did, okay? I bring up this story because it's kind of funny and it's awkward and these are sometimes the situations that I find myself in, but really I bring this up because sometimes it's really easy to just misread someone, right? That I bet, I bet if this uh, gentleman had realized that I wasn't an intern here at Bethany, that conversation might have gone slightly different, right? But sometimes this is what happens. We just assume we get what somebody is about and it actually causes the entire conversation to go a little askew. And that's what we're actually gonna see in the passage today. That what we're gonna see is that because Pilate misreads who Jesus is, he misreads the entire point of what is going on. So today I wanna to explore actually a weird and an odd and a bit of an actually long interaction between Pilate and between Jesus. And it's found in your Bibles in the book of John, if you want to go there. And specifically, we're going to be in John 18 today. Now, this passage we're gonna be taking a look at is the trial between Jesus and between um, uh, Pilate and the Jewish leaders. But before we actually read the passage today, uh, I do have to make a few comments about it. Specifically that, uh, in the past history, what has happened specifically with this passage is that this passage has really been used to actually encourage anti-Semitic hate. 
I just think that we need to name this and to say that that is not a part of this passage whatsoever. We're going to see uh, some of the Jewish religious elites calling for Jesus to be crucified. But what has happened is that people have twisted the scriptures and they have then used this as a reason to hate uh, all Jewish people. And this is just should be named for what it is, evil, immoral, wrong, and a twisting of scriptures. There is no way you can twist the fact that Jesus is Jewish, all of his followers is Jewish, as somehow being against the Jewish people, okay, as a whole. So I just want to name that this has happened and that because of this passage, there has been Jewish people who have been hurt and even killed because of the misinterpretation and the twisting of it, but we shouldn't read that into the text. And so today we're going to be reading actually a significant portion of text, upwards of like 40 verses. Now, normally when I preach, what we do is I read the passage and then I start to make some comments on it. But for this one, I'm going to read it and comment as we go, simply because it's kind of long and interwoven and it's a really important narrative. So we're going to take a look at it. But I do really want us to have that lens as we are reading the scriptures of how when you misinterpret who someone is, when you misread them, when you assume the wrong things, you actually end up missing the point. And that's why I want to take a look at how this happens here today. So we start off with this. It says that Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor, Pilate. His accusers didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate uh, the Passover. So Pilate, the governor, went out to them and asked, what is your charge against the man? So here's some of the context. Jesus has been betrayed. Jesus has actually been captured. And he's actually been tried by the ruling of religious leaders and elites. But these ruling of religious leaders and elites, they want to kill Jesus. So they bring him to the most powerful person in Israel, the kind of the Roman governor named Pilate, to have him kill Jesus for them. And so Pilate asks them, what is your charge against the man? And the uh, religious leaders and elites, they answer this. They said, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal, they retorted. Now, if you can like, be pretty obvious with this, this is like a complete non-answer, isn't it? Pilate asks a pretty straightforward question. What's the charge against Jesus? And they report, we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. This gets Pilate thinking for sure. Because remember, Pilate is a cruel, cunning, political, maneuvering governor. Okay, he is full of violence and cunning. That's what we know from him historically. So the moment that the Jewish religious leaders just don't say like, you know, Jesus is a thief. He's an insurrectionist. He's a, a whatever. The moment that they don't actually name the real charge and they kind of give this evasive answer, for sure, Pilate is wary, right? Because this is an evasive answer when they say we wouldn't have handed him over to you if he weren't a criminal. So Pilate has this suspicion that he might be being played by something. So he responds in the way that he often does, with directness, with force, and with just kind of getting rid of the problem. Listen to what he says. He says, then take him away and judge him by your own law, Pilate told at them. Because Pilate is actually very good at this political game of kind of the schemes within schemes that are going on. And the religious leaders respond to him. They say, only the Romans are permitted to execute someone, the Jewish leaders replied. This would fulfill, uh, this fulfilled Jesus' prediction about the way he would die. So now Pilate knows a little bit more, actually. He knows that the religious leaders want Jesus dead and that they want him to do it, that they want his blood, Jesus' blood, on Pilate's hands. He now has a little bit more of context with what's going on, but it's not quite enough still. He still knows that more is going on. So what Jesus does, or what Pilate does then, is he realizes he needs more information. If he's going to make a decision, he needs more information. And so what he does then is he goes to Jesus rather than to the manipulative religious leaders. So this is what happens next. Then Pilate went back into his headquarters and called for Jesus to be brought to him. He's going to try to get to the bottom of what is going on. He's going to try to figure it out. He knows that the Jewish religious leaders, they want to kill Jesus, but he doesn't know with why, and they haven't really been up front with things. So Pilate goes to Jesus, and he says this, Are you the king of the Jews? And I imagine here 
that Pilot is used to getting straight answers. Remember, Pilot has all the power and all the control and all the authority in this moment. At least that's what he thinks is going on, right? He assumes that he's the top dog and he's used to actually using threats of violence and interrogation to just get whatever he wants. So Pilate being kind of the straight man that he is, he just asked directly, says, you know, are you the king of the Jews? He has some context about Jesus to ask this question. And so he goes directly to him. And Jesus, with one reply, actually, he shifts all the power dynamics in the room. Up until this point, you kind of see Pilate acting as you would expect. But after this first encounter with Jesus, everything shifts, everything changed. And Jesus replies, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? Jesus says, is this your own question or did others tell you about me? And here with that one question, Jesus really flips things. Because just think about this, right? When prisoners are asked questions, they do not respond with questions. That's not how things are meant to be. But here, Pilate really doesn't seem to be the one in control. Pilate asks a direct question and Jesus almost sidesteps it and gets actually to the deeper level. What he asks Pilate is, is this your question or is it someone else's? Pilate, are you the one really in control here? Pilate, are you being manipulated by outside forces? Pilate, who is really the one who is actually directing all these things? And with one question, Jesus kind of gets under Pilate's skin. He actually starts to maneuver differently. The prisoner really should not be asking questions to the warden, but that's what's happening. Pilate goes in thinking he's the one who's in control and authority and in charge, and he'll get to the bottom of it. And Jesus, with one question, really flips the tables. That's what goes on. So then Pilate um, responds in the only way that Pilate kind of can. First, he responds with disinterest. Then he responds with an attack. And then lastly, he just responds with, with direct questioning. So the first thing that Pilate says is this. He says, am I a Jew, Pilate retorted. This is him kind of saying like, do I even care what's going on here? And truthfully, the answer is, yes, he does care. Because he's having this conversation with Jesus. Pilate is immensely powerful, yet in the middle of the night, he's actually having this conversation with Jesus. So make no mistake, Pilate is incredibly interested in what's going on. That there is some threat here that he can't quite figure out. So then he goes on with a little bit more of a direct, almost attack. He says, your own people and their leading priests brought you uh, to me for trial. Why? What have you done? He's just saying like, what is going on here? Just tell me exactly what's happening. And Jesus replies, and I'm sure this reply does not help Pilate whatsoever to really understand what's happening. Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Now here when Jesus starts talking about a kingdom. This is something Pilate is familiar with for sure. But when Jesus is talking about a kingdom here, he's talking about it in categories that I'm sure just confuse Pilate, that aren't helpful whatsoever, that isn't making it clear what is going on, why do the Jewish leaders want to kill this man, and what threat is he maybe to Rome, to Pilate, and to his power? So Pilate just gets very straightforward and he asks this question. Pilate said this, so you are a king? So you are a king? This is what he's trying to get at. Pilate doesn't have time for metaphors and for all these kind of cryptic answers. He just wants the exact answer that he needs. And so Jesus responds with, again, an answer that must have confused Pilate. Jesus responded with, you say I am a king. Actually, though, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth. And all who love the truth recognize that what I say is true. You can just imagine, can't you, that Pilate in this interaction, in this interrogation, right, how he must be so confused. This is not at all how he was expecting this to go. This is not at all what he was used to. Jesus keeps giving answers for him that destabilize everything. Pilate is uncertain, he is wary, and he is unsure. This is why then Pilate says probably the most honest thing in his entire interaction with Jesus. His very next point, he says, well, what is truth, Pilate asked, because he can't figure it out. He can't figure out what is going on. Jesus has only confused him more and made him also, I'm sure, more suspicious of what's happening. 
So Pilate then tries a different tact. He's going to actually not talk with Jesus. He's going to go back to the religious leaders and the elites. And that's what we see out happening next. So we read this. And then he went out again to the people and he told them he is not guilty of any crime. Pilate can't figure out what crime he is guilty of and it's just not clear to him. So he's very straightforward with this. But he says this, you have a custom of asking me to release one prisoner each year at Passover. Would you like me to release this king of the Jews? But the people shouted back. They said, no, no, not this man. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was a revolutionary, John tells us. So Pilate, trying to find a way out of kind of the odd situation he's in, he thinks, I'll release Jesus back to them. But the people don't want that. The people cry out for Barabbas instead. And what we know about Barabbas is just this, that when the text says he's a revolutionary, another word to put that from Pilate's perspective would be that he is a terrorist. What this means is that he has used violence to try to overthrow Rome. That's what's going on. And here then we see really Jesus and Barabbas contrasted pretty, pretty strongly. That Jesus is somebody who obviously believes in nonviolence and is going to overthrow the Roman kingdom, but not through violence, but through peace and suffering. Barabbas, though, is a man who truly believes in violence. And he believes the way forward to get rid of Rome is through violence and an uprising and a revolution. So there's these two almost distinct paths that we are seeing. That you can follow the path of Jesus, which is of grace, peace, and nonviolence, or the path of Barabbas, which is of power, politics, and violence. And in fact, there's another link between these two people as well that highlights kind of their difference. Jesus is often known as in the Gospels as the Son of Man, and he tells us to pray to God as his Father. Barabbas, though, his name literally means Son of the Father, Bar Abba, Abba meaning Father. So there's these odd links between these two people, and it's like John is almost juxtaposing two different kinds of kings and rulers and ways forward in this world. The way of Jesus or the way of Barabbas, which is about power, violence, and politics. And so this, this interaction with the people confuses Pilate more. It doesn't help him to figure out what to do at all. So we read uh, this next. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. Because when Pilate is confused, what we've noticed actually historically is that whenever Pilate gets in a difficult situation, his number one go-to move is violence. So that's what he thinks he'll do. He'll use violence against Jesus, and this will then allow him to find a way through this odd mix that he's in, where he knows Jesus isn't guilty, yet the religious leaders and elites want him killed. So we read this, that Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The shoulders wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They mocked as they slapped him uh, across the face. Pilate here is going to mock Jesus. He's going to torture Jesus. He's going to do violence towards Jesus. But then what he wants to do is he wants to release Jesus. He thinks that this will satisfy the crowds that are there in his compound. He thinks that this will satisfy the religious ruling leaders and elites. He thinks that this will likely be enough, but it's not enough. Um, because what we read is this. Uh, Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I am now uh, going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Pilate's giving his direction. He is the one in charge. At least that's what he thinks. Right? And it says this, then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate said, look, here is the man. But when they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. They don't want this gesture that Pilate is giving to them. They want this man dead. They want Jesus killed. So Pilate responds with his customary directness. He says, take him yourselves then and crucify him. Pilate said, I find him not guilty. Pilate's giving his direction. He's not sure what's happening and what's going on, but what he knows is that Jesus is not guilty. So he says, take him away, do with him what you want, but I find him not guilty. But then here's the kind of the twist in the passage. But then the Jewish leaders replied, they said this, by our law, he ought to die, 
because he called himself the son of God. And with them saying that last term, the son of God, the moment in the passage really does shift. Because what we often think of, when we think of uh, Jesus being the son of God, we think of him being the divine son of God. And we think of this in theological terms. What we don't often realize is that this term son of God was actually a political term in that day and age. That the true son of God in the Roman Empire was Caesar. That he was the divine son of Augustus. So when Jesus calls himself the son of God, when they say that Jesus names himself as the son of God, this is actually a direct threat to Caesar. Or to put it in more popular terms, this is treason. You can't use that term that way. That's what's going on. And so when Pilate finds out that all of a sudden Jesus has been called the son of a God and realizes that this is a treasonous statement, what he realizes is that if, is if he releases Jesus, he actually could be fired, he actually could be killed, he actually could be crucified himself. That if he allows somebody who is a threat to Rome to run around the countryside, continuing to proclaim that he is the true son of God, this is a big danger to him. This is why Pilate's next response is fear. It says this, when Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever because he knows now that Jesus in some way, shape or form is almost a political time bomb for him. That if Jesus has been calling himself the son of God, that this is a direct threat to Rome and one that he needs to deal with. So Pilate uh, goes back to trying to question Jesus again. It says this, so he took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, where are you from? He's trying to get to the bottom of this to figure out what is going on. Where are you from? But it says this, the text, but Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus gave him no answer. Jesus didn't feel the need to engage with this whatsoever. But this response from Pilate, it must have made him more paranoid, more suspicious, and just can't figure out what to go or what to do. And so he begins demanding almost or pleading with Jesus. He says, why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? Because here Pilate has totally, completely misread the situation. He thinks that he is the only one in that room with power and authority and control when truthfully Jesus is the one who has power, control, and authority. And Jesus responds by bringing that directly up. Jesus says this then to Pilate, but you would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from above. So the one who handed me over you has the greater sin. This again, this response from Jesus has convinced Pilate that he isn't guilty, but he doesn't know what to do. So the text says this, that then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leaders shouted, if you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. And here the Jewish religious leaders are making it clear that they've boxed Pilate in. That if Pilate releases Jesus, they will go to Caesar and they will say that you have someone who is supporting a traitor, a revolutionary, a terrorist, whatever. They have really boxed him in saying this idea with Caesar that anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. So we read Pilate's response. So when they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called uh, the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon on the day of the preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him, crucify him. What, crucify your king, Pilate asked. And then the people responded. The leading priest shouted. They said this, we have no king but Caesar. And here we just see, and just as plain as day, that the reigning religious rulers and elites, that they are not interested in theological reasons about Jesus. They are interested in power and domination and authority. So they say, we have no king but Caesar because he's the one who can give them the authority that they think that they need. And so then the text ends for today. And then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. So what does this all mean for us today? 
Because I know that's a long passage of scripture. I know that there's a lot that's kind of interwoven and it's complex, it's a long narrative. Well, what I wanna do today is to give you three themes that I see in this passage of scripture. And then of course, we're gonna have a main point and a challenge as always. But really, when I read that passage, I see three things being emphasized. First, that Jesus is the king. Second, that Jesus is in control. And then thirdly, that Jesus is the truth. Okay, that's what I think we see in this passage. If we want to take it very seriously, we see Jesus as king, control, and the truth. I want to explain what I mean. I see that this theme of Jesus being the king really throughout this entire passage. It's really brought up at the very beginning when Pilate says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? That he realizes this is really what Jesus is on trial for. Right, that he has proclaimed that he actually is kind of the ruler, the Messiah, the king. What I think we also see in this passage is that Jesus is not a king like other kings. That he's not a king like Caesar. He's not a king like Pilate. He's certainly not a king like Barabbas. Instead, he has a different kind of a kingdom. Jesus actually makes this clear in his own words. Again, referencing himself as king, right? He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. And you only have a kingdom if you're a king. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. But here, we have often actually mistook what Jesus is taking. And we've made him into Jesus just being king of a spiritual world. But that is untrue. When Jesus says that my kingdom is not of this world, he does not mean, follow with me, that his kingdom does not lay claim to our world, to our material existence, to what's going on. Jesus instead is saying that his kingdom isn't like any other kingdom of the world. That's what he's saying and that his kingdom is here for us in our daily lives, that this is what he is trying to point at, but that it's different than the kingdoms of Pilate, of Caesar, of Barabbas. But I think what is clear from this passage, if you wanna look at it, is simply this, that Jesus is the king, and he's the king over everything. That's what's going on here. Jesus is really positioning himself as the king and king over everything. Secondly, what we see is that Jesus is also really in control. I think if you read through this passage, what is kind of the funny or odd juxtaposition is that Pilate is the man who's supposed to be in control. He's the man who's supposed to have all the power, all the authority, all the ability in this, in this kind of text. But what we see with Pilate is that he's running around frantic. Pilate is not calm by any means, shape, or form. Pilate is incredibly unsure. Yet when we look at Jesus, what do we see? We see a man in complete control. We see him being calm. We see him actually in control in each conversation that he is in. John is really clear with this, that Jesus is actually the one who is in control and has all the authority. I think this is important for us to realize, that you can kind of see Pilate just running around unsure with frantic grasping at power, trying to figure out whose schemes are within schemes, and yet Jesus is silent, Jesus is calm, Jesus responds, and Jesus is clear that he has all authority. That's what's going on in this passage. And then thirdly, what I want to notice is not only is Jesus king, not only is Jesus in control, Thirdly, Jesus really is the truth and has come to reveal and testify to the truth. We read this, where Jesus says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would uh, fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. So Pilate asks, so you are a king? And Jesus responded, you say I'm a king. Actually, here Jesus names what he's called to do. Okay? Actually, I was born and came into the world to testify to the truth, to be a witness to the truth, to reveal the truth. That's Jesus's role. He says, all who love the truth recognize what I say is true. So we see Jesus here, not only being a king and being in control, but also really naming that he is the one who reveals truth. He is the one who witnesses the truth. He is the one who testifies truth. And in the book of John, the connection between Jesus and truth is really clear. That the only way that you can actually encounter truth is to encounter Jesus. Let me say that again, okay? That the only way to actually encounter truth is to encounter Jesus. This is what the book of John really teaches very clearly, that Jesus is the truth. Let me read to you a few verses. 
We read this in John 1, 14, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Or in John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And Jesus here is referring to himself. That's what's going on. And in John 14, 6, Jesus answered them. And listen to what he says. It's very clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. So often we have misread these passages and not realized what they're teaching so clearly, that Jesus is the truth. That truth is not some weird objective thing out there. Truth is Jesus and it is found in relationship with him. That's what's going on in this passage. That's what even Jesus is reminding Pilate of, that I have come to witness, to testify, to reveal the truth. So what do we see in this passage? I think we see three things. I think we see Jesus as king. I think we see Jesus as control, as having control and authority. And then we also see Jesus as revealing the truth. Kind of the subtext or the real tension in this entire narrative is just this, is will Pilate realize who Jesus is? Will Pilate continue to misinterpret and to misread who Jesus is? Will Pilate ever figure out who Jesus really is sitting in front of him? Because what I find is so interesting is Pilate at one point, he says that question, what is the truth, right? And the answer to that is the person sitting in front of him. The truth is Jesus sitting in front of him. The question is, is will Pilate see it? Because as we even started off this sermon with, it is so easy to misread a person, to misread a situation, and then for the conversation to go sideways. That's what happens to Pilate. For Pilate, there are only two options for him. He either believes that he's in charge and has all the power, or the ruling religious elites are in charge and have all the power. He never once considered there's a third option, that the person sitting in front of him is the true king with true authority who is revealing the truth to him. You see, what Pilate is doing in this story and in this narrative is really just this. Pilate is actually trying to stay neutral. I don't know if you see that, but it's in there. He's actually trying to stay neutral, but this is just the truth. You cannot stay neutral when it comes to Jesus. You can't just stay neutral when it comes to Jesus. You can't sit on the fence. Either you will recognize him as king, as in control and authority and as the truth, or you won't. And that's really the whole point of this passage is that we see that Pilate just can't realize who it is that is sitting in front of him. So what does this mean for all of us here today? I know we've taken a little bit of time to get here. What's kind of the main point for us here uh, this morning? Well, the main point that I just want to suggest to you out of this passage is just this, those three points, that Jesus is the king, Jesus is in control, and that Jesus is the truth. That's what I want to invite you to really recognize, that Jesus is the king, Jesus is in control, and that Jesus is the truth. I think this is what we see with Jesus' interaction with Pilate. And as I said, the real question is, is will Pilate see it? So the way that I think that this applies to our lives is just this, is that the question is, is whether we will see Jesus as the king, as the one in control, and as the truth. I think that's what this means for us today. So today I have a small and simple, but also I believe a really meaningful challenge for us for how to live this out, that Jesus is the king and in control and the truth in our lives. Here's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to sit down with Jesus and to just reflect on your relationship with Jesus. I want to invite you to just sit with Jesus, spend some time with him, actually some extended time with him, and to reflect and examine your relationship with him. Because what I know from both personal interactions and even from this story is that it is really easy to misread people or to misread a relationship or to misread a moment. And it is very dangerous to do that. We see this in this story with Pilate. He misreads who Jesus is, and so he misses the entire point. The question is, is are we doing that in our relationship with him? Is there any area where we might be doing that? So I want to challenge you this week, maybe even today, to take 15 or 20 minutes or longer and to just sit with Jesus and to actually reflect on your relationship with him. 
I want to invite you to reflect around three specific areas. Okay? I want to invite you to reflect around allegiance, trust, and truth. Okay? Allegiance, trust, and truth. I want to give you even three questions to kind of ask about this. I want to invite you to reflect on your relationship with Jesus and to see that if it is true that Jesus is the king, and I truly believe it is, are you relating to him as the king? Are you willing to submit to allegiance to him? Are you willing to bend the knee to him? Or do you just take Jesus's advice as that? Advice that you can disregard or really, are you really willing to submit and to follow? The question I want to invite you to really examine in your own life is just this, is are you uh, relating to Jesus as king? Are you relating to Jesus as king? Is he your king? That's the question that Pilate never answers and never looks at and never asks. I think it's one that we need to do. Is Jesus your king? Secondly, I also want to invite you to examine your life really for trust. That if it's true that Jesus is in control, and I believe that, you see this so clearly in this passage, Jesus is the only one who actually seems in control. Pilate is frantic. The Jewish leaders are yelling and screaming, Jesus is calm, cool, and collected. He shows power, but power under self-discipline. That's what we see with him. So my question is, in your relationship with Jesus, do you actually trust him? Do you trust in his control? Or do you look more like Pilate? Are you frantic? Are you grasping? Are you trying to manipulate situations? Or do you trust in Jesus and in his control? That's the second question uh, to think through. Not only is Jesus your king, but also do you trust in him? And then lastly, I want to invite you to really reflect on, are you allowing Jesus to reveal the truth to you? I think what we see in this passage and in the book of John as a whole is that Jesus is the truth and that there is no way to know the truth without being connected to him, without having a relationship with him, without really having a deep encounter and experience with him. So what I want to invite you to really invite you to reflect on is, is Jesus leading you into truth? Are you allowing him to reveal the truth to you, to be the witness to the truth to you, to testify to the truth to you? Or are you simply allowing like your social media friends or news feeds or whatever else to be the place where you find truth? Do you find it in Jesus first? Those are the three questions I want to invite you really to consider here today. I want to invite you to just sit and reflect on your relationship with Jesus, uh, to really take a look at, are you treating him as the king? Are you treating him with trust because he's the one in control? And are you treating him to really allow him to reveal truth to you? I just believe that this is necessary and needed more in our day and age and more in our lives than ever. Because what Lent is all about is really examining our lives. So I want to challenge you before we come to Easter to have a moment of self-reflection, to really sit with Jesus, to take some time. Because honestly, sometimes the truth, it's not quick and easy and fast to find. In fact, Chance the Rapper said so eloquently in his latest song, he says this, he says, remember, Pontius Pilate hung a God and justified it. The truth is slow because someone's always in a rush to hide it. That you can't rush if you really want to truly examine and reflect on your life. I want to invite you to take some time. Would you spend that with Jesus? And would you actually see, is he your king? Is he the one that you trust to be in control? And is he the one that is revealing the truth to you? So that's my main point today. My main point is simple. Out of all that we've taken a look at here today, main point is that Jesus is the king, that Jesus is in control, and that Jesus reveals truth. I want to invite you to reflect in your life. Is that true in your life and in mine? Because when it comes to Jesus, as I said, we can't be neutral and we can't miss the point and misread the situation. We actually need to submit to our true Lord, Savior, and most of all, King. So with that, would you join with me in prayer here today? God, I pray. I pray, might we have you speaking to us so clearly and so deeply, each and every one of us? 
I pray, God, might we always relate to you as king. Might we relate to you through allegiance, through submission, through obedience. I pray, God, might we trust in your control. Might we not seek to manipulate things, but to trust in you. I pray also, Lord, when it comes to our lives with you, might we remember that you are the one who truly reveals truth to us. So I pray, God, will we take time to actually reflect on our relationship with you? Would your spirit speak to us about areas that need to be corrected or changed or that are misaligned? And I pray, Lord, might we continue to follow you, especially as we come towards Easter. Might we follow you with obedience, with allegiance, and with submission as we seek to really join with you in what you're doing in the world. And we pray this all in your wonderful name. Amen and amen.